that was the opening music from Paramount Pictures' White Christmas, released in 1954. And the movie is full of wonderful music. Uh, the opening music just being one of many songs and, and musical numbers in, in this movie. Uh, and we're doing this, uh, we're rev reviewing White Christmas because our show will come out the day before Christmas. So we thought, what a perfect opportunity. Uh, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews. You can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net or just search in iTunes for Classic Movie Reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson, coming to you from sunny Seattle today. Actually, it was raining last night, but cleared up today. And I'm Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles, where we're having nice uh, fall-winter kind of weather. Should be in the 70s today, maybe. Hey, we'll get up into the 40s today, so... Hey. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, well, I... Uh, I did a little research on our movie, just the usual background. Uh, I've, I've seen this movie at least a dozen times, and it came out in October of 1954, and at that time I was in the eighth grade, and I remember going to see this movie in uh, Lewistown, Montana, on the Thanksgiving Day weekend that year. And I've seen it many times since then. It was uh, released by Paramount Pictures. And it uh, was their most success, a big financial success. I don't know if it was their most successful movie of the 50s or not, but it, it did really well at the box office. And it was uh, the first Paramount picture that used the VistaVision format, which uh, was a high-resolution 35-millimeter film format. And what was interesting about that uh, particular format of film was that it was uh, it could be projected in a standard 35 millimeter projector, uh, and so instead of kind of the the normal square aspect ratio of of the movies at the time, this was a, a widescreen format, and the. Uh, at the time in 1954, television was becoming very popular. And movies were in hot competition with that, uh, with that new medium. And so they were trying to do things like uh, have more color movies, uh, larger screen formats. Uh, you know, this was around the time when the, you know, there was more 3D movies uh, coming out. So it's, uh, we talked about this a little bit when we reviewed Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's similar to what was happening in the last few years with movies and uh, streaming and internet uh, medium, uh, there's such a resurgence in 3D movies and, and large format uh, film like RPX and IMAX. It's it's almost exactly the same kind of situation as 1954 uh, in 2014 with uh, that competition. The uh, the VistaVision, I think, was also uh, to kind of compete with CinemaScope, which... I think 20th Century Fox pioneered a year or two before this movie came out. It's interesting now with the change that goes on. The television movie, the whole the whole entertainment sector has been much more integrated. So you've got like Disney with ABC, Universal with NBC, 
quite a different landscape than the 1950s when they saw each other as uh, competitors. Well, everything is much more vertically integrated. You've got the studios and, you know, distribution and uh, television and movies and internet, all kind of part of the same organization, I think. And the audience is is a worldwide audience now, just uh, as opposed to in the 50s, which would have been much more just U.S.-centric, I would think. Some other interesting facts about this movie, uh, uh, Rosemary Clooney, as one of the stars, uh, didn't know how to dance. So, uh, you you know that scene where they they sing Sisters and they have those big boas uh, and, and feathers? That's to kind of hide the fact that she's not a very good dancer. And she even admits in uh, in the making of special that's on the blu-ray that she's not a great dancer uh but on the on the flip side v- uh, vera ellen was a fantastic dancer uh, and was actually known as possibly the best dancer of the time in, in the studio system but apparently was a not a good singer and it was funny because rosemary clooney said now uh it was okay that i wasn't a good dancer uh because uh vera was not a very good singer but they so they overdubbed Vera's voice in the movie. If they could have only overdubbed my dancing, it would have been a perfect film. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I did not know that Vera Ellen's voice was not her own. It sure was a nice job of uh, dubbing, I tell you. Yeah, they did a good job, but yeah, that definitely was not her her voice when she was singing. I was going to say the director Michael Curtiz had six movies that he directed that were nominated for Academy Awards. And my one of my favorite movies, Casablanca, was he directed that, and that was a winner. So he was, he was very, very prolific in his directing. Well, he directed over 200 films in his career. Can you imagine? That's amazing. And was probably the best or one of the best known directors of the time, obviously. It said on one of the things I read that he was sort of the lead director for Warner Brothers in the uh, 30s and 40s because he was so good at getting the movies made. They were successful. They were on budget. And then I read that he had such a beautiful home. It had a polo field. He had his own polo field. Wow. (laughs) You don't see that every day. Let's go go out for a game of polo in the backyard. Oh, man, that's great. Something uh, related to him. uh, You know the scene when they're on the train and they're sitting in the club car and they're sitting at that table and they sing the song snow. Yes. Right. Uh, there's two camera moves in that scene that I guess were really indicative of his style. Uh, one was when Danny Kay gets those napkins and the little sprigs of, of, uh, of pine. It kind of makes yeah. the little yeah. like mountainside to represent Vermont. And, right. and they're they're really zoomed in on that, and then they pull the camera back out, and then you can see all four of them. And I guess that was you know his his way of getting some movement and some action in, into that scene. Oh. Yeah, he did say that he, he liked to make action a, a, an integral part of the movies. And that was certainly a good one. Another one that I really liked, and I noticed it pretty easily, was in that same scene in the club car when they are singing snow and they're kind of getting near the end of the song and, and the camera pulls back from the four of them singing and then all the way back over the bar and you see the bartender's hand come in and he pours those drinks and yes. I, and I don't know what the drinks were but they, it looked like he was pouring snow into the into the glasses 
I missed that. I mean, I saw I saw him doing that, but I did, I missed what he was. That's great. So those are like well, little touches that he. I mean, it just kind of shows the attention to detail that that a really good director can bring to the movie. What a talented director! And then in the uh, dance scene where uh, Vera Ellen is is doing a big number, George Shakiris is in that dance group of men, and he later I th- won an Academy Academy Award as Best Supporting Actor in West Side Story. That's where he's from. I could not figure that out, but he looks so familiar. He was a good-looking guy, wasn't he? Man. Oh, very much so. And I read where uh, now he's uh, he's not in the industry anymore, but he's making his own line of uh, jewelry. He's a jewelry designer, and he has his own line. I haven't had a chance to look it up, but as soon as I saw him, I thought, i got to look up who that is, and so I found him. He was a great dancer. Oh, uh, no a couple more, a couple more fun facts uh, before we get into the movie. Uh, apparently... The production of this movie was quite a spectacle, and it was pretty well known that they were making this movie, and lots of celebrities and famous people would stop by the set, and on the day that they finished filming that final scene where they're singing White Christmas, you know, they have the Christmas tree, and they're all and they're all dressed up in their, their red and white outfits, uh, they finished filming it, and then the king and queen of Greece stopped by the set. And the director, wanting to, you know, be accommodating to them, said, well, you're here just in time for us to film the final scene. But actually, they had already finished filming it. So he goes over to uh, Vera Ellen and and Rosemary Clooney and Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby and says, hey, I know we already finished filming this, but can we just do it one more time for the king and queen? And uh, Rosemary Clooney says that, she could hear Bing kind of moaning and going, oh, God, you know, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and, <laughs> and apparently he ducked out and Rosemary Clooney said that he jumped over the wall, quote unquote, and went and played golf instead of filming it again. And so it was Rosemary Clooney, Vera Ellen and Danny Kay filming that final scene sort of pretend and singing the song but there's no Bing Crosby <laughs> he's out teeing off at he's the country club he's, he'd had it he's like forget well you it. know he he loved golf in fact that when he died it was at the end of playing 18 holes of golf I think he was in Scotland and he was in the locker room after the game and he had a major heart attack and died now there's a guy that really liked like golf well you know what if you're gonna go out like that that's probably not a bad way to go <laughs> i know and he started one of the best pro-am golf tournaments pebble beach up north of los angeles and it still goes on today i think it has a different name but it was known for decades as the bing crosby pebble beach open or some similar name yeah i actually had a chance to play golf at that golf course it was pretty oh, wow. spectacular yeah it's beautiful so anyway, should we jump into the film a little bit here after we're Why like not? half an hour into the show? Already? Why not? We can we can we can go quickly through the scenes. Uh, I'll I'll start with a couple that I wanted to note. The opening where it's filmed during the war in Europe in 1944. I really like the way they opened the movie because it gave it a note of realism, and I really like the fact that the men in the battalion or the division I'm not sure which were so respectful of their leader, Major General Waverly, again played by a favorite of mine, Dean Jagger, from 12 O'Clock High. That guy got around. But uh, I love that opening. And then I love the fact that throughout the movie, Danny Kaye is playing up that he saved 
Bing's life when that wall was hit by a shell and collapsed. And he was always referring to his right arm as the as the savior of Bing. I thought that was a, a very funny, frequently used line in the movie. Yeah, he he really played that up. And it was funny on that same scene that we were talking about on the club car. Uh, Danny K or Phil is his character's name is trying to get Bob, uh, who's Bing Crosby's character, to agree to go up to Vermont, and he's playing up his arm injury again, and Bob says to the to the oh. girls, Ah, that sounds very Vermonty. <clears throat> Should be beautiful this time of the year in Vermont, all that snow and everything. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Fir trees, the clean pine air, <clears throat> very beautiful, just what we need. Uh-huh. Oh, wonderful. Could you come up for a couple of days? Well, I, I don't know. It... I wish you could. It'd be awfully nice. Miss Haynes, if you're ever under a falling building and somebody runs up and offers to pick you up and carry you to safety, don't think, don't pause, don't hesitate a moment. Just spit in his eye. What did that mean? It means we're going to Vermont. Oh, holy. Oh. <laughs> I'm tired of hearing this stuff from this guy. <laughs> But it worked out well for both of them since they were very successful. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to say about that opening with the soldiers is that uh, the director, Michael Curtiz, spent quite a bit of time on pre-production and making sure that that was very realistically portrayed. Because if you notice, all the soldiers look like they've been pretty beat up and their uniforms are really beat up and they actually look like they've been out fighting uh, in a battle. And I just thought the sets on this this movie were just so well done and so nice to look at. And especially on, especially on the Blu-ray transfer that I watched, it was just so clear and, and beautiful. I wanted to go spend Christmas at that inn in uh, Connecticut. It looked so beautiful. Or Vermont, yeah. Me too. It was a Vermont. Vermont. Yeah. yeah Vermont. Wow. Uh, just a note on Danny Kaye, again, one of my favorites. The movie that he made that I think is his best movie was The Court Jester in 1956. We should review that down the road. It's hilarious. Okay, <laughs> I'll be up for that. Yeah, so Phil and Bob team up when they get back to the States after the war and, and become very successful. They have their own radio show, and they end up becoming producers. But Bob is just a workaholic, and Phil is tired of working so much. <laughs> And he wants to try to find a girl for Bob because he says that... I don't expect any gratitude. Well, you're going to get it. We did great and I'm grateful. So thank you. Thank you, Phil Davis, from the bottom of my heart. Now, will you let the rest of my life alone? No, I won't. Well, why not? Because you're a miserable, lonely, unhappy man. Oh, you're wacky. I'm a very happy man. Well, then you're happy for the wrong reasons, and that's the same as being lonely and miserable, except it's worse. You know something? You're off your nut about a mile and a half. I got everything in life oh, I want. Oh, sure. I'm off my nut a mile and a half. At least. You've got everything you yes, want, I'm except loaded. the most important thing. What's this? A girl. Well, I'll get her out of that one of these days. My dear partner, when what's left of you gets around to what's left to be gotten, what's left to be gotten won't be worth getting whatever it is you've got left. I figure out what that means. I'll come up with a crushing reply. What's yeah. back all this anyway? Nothing, nothing. Only your happiness. My happiness? Yeah. You know, when you get an idea that's for my soul and ultimate happiness, there's always lurking behind it somewhere a little angle for you. Now, what is it? You really want to know? Yes, I really want to know. All right, I'll really tell you. Well, then lay it on me, will you? Ever since the day we became producers, you were a changed man. You've gone absolutely berserk with work. 
And the strange thing is, you liked it. You liked being Rogers and Hammerstein. Well, it was your idea, you know. Well, sure, it was yeah. my idea, but I didn't think I was going to create a Frankenstein. From that day on, I haven't had one minute I could call my own. What do you want me to do about it? I want you to get married. I want you to have nine children. And if you only spend five minutes a day with each kid, that's 45 minutes. And I'd at least have time to go out and get a massage or something. That was oh, funny. that was funny. And uh, that came up more than one time in the, uh, in the movie. And then along about this time in the movie, they get a letter from one of their old army buddies, Benny, and they show his picture. Yeah. <laughs> and he he's one of the original uh, guys in uh, those serials that were made back in the 30s. Our gang or spanking our gang or whatever that, whatever that is. And one of my favorite lines, I still laugh at it, I think it's Danny Case's. Hello. 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 Want to sit down? Thank you. Uh, uh, won't you sit there and... You sit right here. There, that's cozy, isn't it? Boy, girl, boy, girl. Uh, well, I'm Betty, and this is my sister, Judy. Uh, and you're Phil Davis, and you're Mr. Wallace. You're gilly on both counts, I guess. Isn't this nice? Mr. Wallace was just saying how remarkable it was that Benny Haynes' sister should have eyes. Uh, I mean, blue eyes. Uh, that is, eyes... Uh... <laughs> nice out. <clears throat> yeah, that was so funny. Was so ugly. <laughs> Was he? Did he? He was in the Little Rascals. Yeah, he. The he, Little Rascals. Did he play Spanky? Yeah. Oh. Okay. He was. He was in the Little. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think he was that ugly, but hey, you know, I didn't know him. I guess they have high standards. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so they get. To, so they get that letter. So they decide to go watch the, uh, the sister act, uh, the Haynes sisters, and I don't know if you noticed this, but when they are panning from left to right in that scene when they first get to the nightclub there's this buffet with a fish tank on top of it and the and i thought that buffet looked so awesome it had lobster oysters and a bunch of other expensive like fish and stuff in well, it. I, I didn't know and i was like oh, oh man i want to go there for for wow. breakfast no kidding um yeah, so they meet the Haynes sisters. It kind of sets up the plot of the movie here, which is uh, a sister played by Rosemary Clooney. That, that's okay, I'll get it. Uh, Betty Haynes plays and a, Vera Ellen is Judy Haynes. Judy says that Betty is kind of a mother hen. Judy, did you read Mother's letter this morning? No. Why? Benny's got a job in Alaska. He's been out of the country for three months. Oh. Huh? Oh, well, he, he uh, could have written from Alaska, but he didn't, did he? Oh, he might have. Judy, why did you write the letter? Oh, uh, well, because it's good business. You can't leave everything up to fate. Just like honesty needs a little plus, fate needs a little push. Judy, next time will you talk to me first before you push us and plus us right out of show business? You needn't sound so patronizing. I'm just like a mother hen looking after a little chick. A little chick needs plenty of looking after. Until someone else comes along who can do it better, mother hen's going to stick pretty close to the coop. The the setup is that Betty actually... No, Judy wrote the letter, not Benny. And so Judy wrote the letter to Bob and Phil to get them to come see them at the nightclub. They do their dance scene, which I thought was pretty funny uh, because uh, of the fact that once I found out that Rosemary Clooney didn't didn't know how to dance. I kind of thought they did a good job of hiding that. I would have never guessed it otherwise. I didn't know that she was that way, uh, you know, needed to have that kind of a prop. It was very well done. And then they're sitting and having drinks after that, and Betty fesses up to Bob that 
Judy actually wrote the letter, and, and Bob sort of is kind of grouchy about it and says that... They look well together, don't they? Yes. See, I was sure surprised to get Benny's letter today. I didn't know Look, that Mr. Wallace, before you go any further, I must tell you. You were brought here tonight under false pretenses. Benny didn't write the letter. My sister did. Judy? Yes, she figured you'd never come to see us if we ask you, and you might if Benny did. It's as simple as that. How <laughs> do you like that? Even little Judy there's got an angle going, huh? She didn't mean anything by it. She's you don't just have a... to apologize. Everybody's got an angle. That's a pretty cynical point of view. Oh, come, come now, Miss Haynes. Surely you knew that everybody's got a little larceny operating in them, didn't you know that? Well, just for the record, I want you to know that my sister and I don't play angles. Well, if that letter wasn't an angle, I'd like to know what it was. I don't like your whole inference. I got no squawks, no beefs. The kid played a percentage, it worked, and we're here. Let's not make a whole big mishmash out of it, huh? Bob's kind of jaded in the movie at the beginning, don't you think? Like, he yeah, seems kind of grumpy. He's, and he's, he's a bit cynical about the industry, and I think he was also using that as a defense so he didn't get too close to a woman because he was he was enjoying producing and singing, and that was working for him. To me, it seems like kind of uh, one of the journeys in the movie is, is Bob sort of uh, realizing that, yeah, maybe he shouldn't, maybe he shouldn't work so much and maybe he should get into a relationship because at the end he's he's pretty much with with betty oh yeah it changes in the movie when he decides to have the whole army group come up for the production and then when he sings that song to rosemary clooney at that open fireplace in the end you could actually see him changing his tune that's the count your blessings instead of sheep yes i love that music that's that's a great song that's a great scene i like that scene in the in the end there and maybe this is a good point to, uh, in the in the podcast to mention how wonderful Irving Berlin's music and songs are in this film. I read where he'd written over 1,500 songs. He had five songs nominated for Academy Awards. And then there was a long list of songs I won't mention, but just a few. Easter Parade, Happy Holidays, There's No Business Like Show Business, and one I did not know that he had written, God Bless America which is played at every baseball game now since September 11th of 2001. Oh, I didn't or know that. Or almost every game, yeah. And uh, George Gershwin said that Irving Berlin, Irving Berlin is the greatest songwriter that ever lived. I believe it. Well, the song White Christmas had sold oh, yeah. 100 million copies. 100 million copies wow. before this movie even came out. And it's it's Ooh. either the top or one of the top selling songs of all time. I'm sure that it must still you know be be sold on iTunes or even on CDs today. And something I didn't know that I learned uh, in re- researching this movie was that he was an immigrant that didn't even speak English when he came to the United States. I know. Uh, so the fact that he became so successful that's that's a great story isn't that i mean that's yeah it really is he lived to be 101 oh wow yeah writing songs probably up until the end anyway i, I got us off track here. okay We're... well back back to the nightclub because one of my favorite scenes is when danny Kay and uh vera ellen go dancing out on the dock i know wow and shelby was, was watching beautiful. shelby my uh 13 year old daughter was watching this with me and we both got to laughing because we couldn't believe that Danny Kay's outfit was completely matching color-wise. His shoes, his socks, his pants, his jacket were all yeah. exactly the same color. 
And that was apparently totally on purpose because it helped uh, with his extension. It, it, there was nothing that broke up his lines, you know, by color. Oh, okay. And uh, my other, the other part that we laughed at was uh, when they kind of wrote that it was almost like a zip line at the end down the dock. And yes. We both laughed at they have a zip line on the, <laughs> on the dock. <laughs> One of the early versions. Yeah. Uh. But we also uh, were both kind of marveling at the the set because of the water and the way that they did the painting in the background made it look like it went off into the distance and they were really right there on the ocean and there was a lighthouse in the background and, and the dancing was just fantastic i mean i knew he was a dancer but he was excellent in that in that movie oh i tell you yeah and then and then the sheriff shows up to arrest the sisters because apparently they are being swindled by their landlord basically uh, and this kind of reminded me of that scene in On the Town when uh, they were being chased by the police. <laughs> yes. <laughs> same same general theme. Uh, but in order yeah. to stall the sheriff, uh, this was another one of my favorite scenes. Uh, the boys, Phil and Bob, kind of get dressed up a little bit as, as the sisters, and then they sing Sisters. <laughs> Sisters, sisters, there were never such devoted sisters. And that was so funny. And I noticed that uh, Danny Kaye kept like hitting Bing Crosby yes. with the feathers. And apparently Danny Kaye was trying to get a rise out of Bing Crosby. Every little thing that we are wearing. When a certain gentleman arrived from Rome, she wore the dress and I stayed home. All kinds of weather, we stick together the same. And it worked because Bing Crosby started laughing, like for real, like laughing. Yeah, that was really a genuine laugh. We think and we act as one. Those who've seen us know that not a thing could come between us. Many men have tried to split us up, but no one can. And you could tell when it first started, he was kind of surprised by that. I think that was totally improv. And what, what I loved about it was they kept it in. They didn't do like another take to, to say, okay, that was, you know, funny guys, but let's do it for real. And they just kept it in. And, and I laughed at that too, because I thought that's really a genuine moment right there. It was in, indeed. Hey, we were smashed. Let's take a bow. You crazy? We'll be taking a bow down to the jailhouse. Come on. And they escape and they get on the train, but of course they don't have tickets because Phil gave the tickets to the sisters. And uh, Bob's quite upset about that, and he says he says to uh, to Phil. Well, this is great, just great. We paid for our tickets twice. Now we're going to sit up all night. What are you screaming about? If we took a plane, we'd be sitting up all night. We're not taking a plane. We're taking a train. A train on which we had tickets. Tickets for a drawing room with two nice, warm, soft, comfortable beds. Where at this very moment, two blocks. You wouldn't do this to me. Wouldn't do what? After you dress me up like a dame. 
You get me involved with the sheriff, I almost lose my life trying to catch a train. I... I know, I... I just know on top of all that you... You wouldn't take away my nice, warm bed and let me spend the night out here in a drafty old club car. You wouldn't do this to old Bob, would you? Whatever are you talking about? <laughs> but, but he did. But he, he did. did. And, and then the, the, the sisters show up into the club car and uh, Bob kind of relents a little bit and is, is being nice to them and, and offers to, you know, sit down and have a sandwich with them and some drinks and and then they sing snow 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 Snow. it won't be long before we'll all be there with snow 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 i want to wash my hands my face and hair with snow that was such a good song. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about some of the, the snow, camera moves in that scene, which I thought were really well done. Clear a path and lift a spade of snow. Snow. To see a great big man entirely new. I think that this is one of the best uh, musicals where the storyline fits so well in with the great music and dancing. That's where I want to be. Snowball throwing. It just kind of moves along. It didn't seem false or or set up in any unusual way. I just really enjoyed it. As opposed to On the Town, which was, I think we mentioned in our podcast that they had the most tenuous plot line that they could get just to string together the musical numbers. But here, I think there was more of an integration of the musical numbers and the plot, which I enjoyed. Then they get to Vermont, and there's no snow. Oh, no. Six, 68 degrees. 68. It, it was warmer there than Florida, she said. And they show up at the inn, and uh, they think that General Waverly, who's the owner, they think he's the janitor. And I think uh, General Waverly says, no, I haven't come up that far yet, or some comment, you know, that was... That was like uh, that would have been a that would have been a promotion. Well, because he's actually the innkeeper. He's, <laughs> he's the, the innkeeper. he's the owner. He's the owner, and and he sunk everything into the inn, and there's no snow. Not a happy, not a happy uh, situation at all. Well, I like that um, you know Bob and Phil kind of immediately get to th- working on how can they help him out, and you know there's this really strong feeling of like uh, camaraderie between all the men in, in, in that unit that were in the, in the war together. You know, I just, I love the fact that they really play up that part of, of the, of the movie. To me, that's one of the strong points of the movie. I I agree. About 52 minutes into the film, the housekeeper finds out that they're trying to work on something to bring some revenue to the end. So she gives Danny Kay a big hug and a kiss and then she gives a kiss to Bing Crosby, and he's like, whoa. I won't tell the general you do it your own way, but I think bringing your show up here is just one of the nicest. Well, how did you know? Well, like any decent, self-respecting housekeeper, I listened in on the other phone. I just don't know what to say. <laughs> he thought of it. Oh, well, it was a lovely thought. Wow. Hey, let's get holy or so. Come on. He wants another kiss. <laughs> he wants another kiss, yeah. <laughs> and they, and they, I think Daddy K has to pull him away. And I, every time I see that scene, I, it's so hilarious. Again, that seems like it's Im, Im, improvisation. I was just going to say that. I felt like that's probably not in the script. Like He just was like, hey, whoa, let's have another one. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
Oh. And then they so they so they bring the whole troop up from New York to Vermont to uh, supposedly rehearse, uh, and that's going well. But they have an idea that it's not enough, so they want to actually bring as many of the men that were in General General Waverly's uh, outfit to the inn so that they can put on a special show just to show General Waverly how much he's appreciated because the general's feeling a bit like he's been forgotten and that he doesn't really have much to do now that he's out of the army and the inn's not going as well as he'd hoped and he's just feeling kind of down and and forlorn and so Bob gets on the phone and, and sets it up with Ed Harris who's a famous television, has a famous television show. I got to thinking that he was probably the movie version of Ed Sullivan. That's what I was, was really thinking. really big. That's what I, exactly what I was thinking. And, I, and at first I thought, is, is Ed Harris, is it Ed Harrison? Harrison, I think. Is that a real person? Like a real, was that a real TV show? But no, it was just made up. I, but I think you're right. It was the version of Ed Sullivan for the movie. The... The housekeeper, who is played by Mary Wick, and her character name is uh, Emma Allen. She was a busybody, wasn't she? She was. And <laughs> Listening in on phone calls. She overhears, uh. she overhears only part of the conversation with Ed Harrison and, of course, assumes that uh, Bob is just in it, in it for the publicity and the, the money and, and is you know, working an angle again. Now you said, no, in your notes, you said you like this part of the movie where there's this misunderstanding between Bob and Betty. Yeah. I think to me, it added a, a, a subplot, a little more drama to kind of spice it up. And, and I didn't like it. And, and so I'll tell you why I, I didn't like it. It, it's because it's the, it's that it's that whole thing that I keep talking about, which is it's the easy way to create drama in a movie is is to have like this kind of a misunderstanding, and the whole time that that she was being mad at Bob, I just kept saying out loud. I was saying while I was watching the movie, just say something to him. Just say, "Hey, why <laughs> why are you you know bringing Ed Harrison up here to put on a big production to promote your show?" And Bob would have said. Well, I'm not. I'm not doing it for my own gain. You know, I'm just doing, I'm just getting the word out. But she doesn't say anything. <laughs> I know. In fact, she leaves. She leaves. Yeah. So that kind of drove me crazy. But, you know, I, meanwhile, I don't know. I'm just like, oh, I love that drama. It spices it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now she's on the train. Why is she leaving? Oh. Uh... So I guess it's just... You're right, though. That is used a lot in movies. Well, it's used all the time in movies and television. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's still, it's still, when I see that in TV shows and movies today, I, I'm the same way. Like, I'm like squirming in my seat saying, just say something. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm sitting there like, wow, this is great. <laughs> uh, well, it must work. But I do like the subplot of, uh, of Judy and, and Phil pretending to be engaged. I did like that part. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that was quite a party they had for the cast with the music. And I mean, it looked like I wanted to, I, I really do want to go to that inn, even though it doesn't exist. I, I thought that inn was amazing. Not only did oh. it have a great fire pit, which I would love to sit around, but then it had a complete like Broadway sized musical stage at one end of yeah. the room. <laughs> it was like, it, wow. It had all kinds. Of, yeah. It, it was a lot bigger than it looked from the outside. When Shelby was watching it with me, she we got to that point where they're rehearsing in the inn, 
And she looked at me and said, are they still at the inn? Because she couldn't believe that they had that huge set there. But yeah. I still... know. <laughs> it's the movies, you know. Yeah. They kept open. Every, it seemed like every time they had a new scene, like the night of that cast party, I don't remember ever seeing that room either. They had the piano. and Oh, the inn was, was huge. Yeah, yeah. it was. <laughs> he spent a lot of money on that. Uh, well, I wanted to say a couple more things about uh, a, a couple of the songs, um, and we we skipped over a song called "Blue Skies." I never saw the sun shine so bright, never saw things go so right. Notice in the days hurry and by when you're in love, my, my, how they fly. Oh, blue days, all of them gone, long gone. Nothing but blue skies from now on. Now, that, that song was also in The Jazz Singer. Remember when he was, yeah. he was oh, talking yeah. to his mom? He'd come back from being gone, and, and he was saying to his mom how he was going to be a big success, and he sang Blue Skies a couple different ways. Blue skies, smiling at me, nothing but blue skies do I see. Oh, don't know, bluebirds, singing a song, nothing but little bluebirds. And uh, so that that song had been around for quite a while, and then uh, White Christmas was originally in the movie uh, Holiday Inn, and it was funny because I thought that Irving Berlin had written that song for this movie White Christmas, but obviously it had it was a huge success even before this movie came out. So I was kind of misinformed on that. Yeah, that was the, that was the 1942 version of Holiday Inn. Yeah, and then the song choreography. where they were sort of dressed up in, in sort of a beatnik. Right, yeah. That prompted me to look up when the beat generation kind of started. And because I thought, boy, that really seems like something like the, like the beat generation would have been into. The theater, the theater. What's happened to the theater? Especially where dancing is concerned. Chaps who did taps aren't tapping anymore. They're doing choreography. Chicks who did kicks aren't kicking anymore. They're doing choreography. That all that whole movement kind of started right around that time, 1954, 1955, and I, I feel like there's a little bit of influence from that in in the movie, in that scene of choreography, because they're kind of uh, making is... fun of it a little bit. 
car and he's making all Danny Kay's making all those faces and moving around. Now, was he dressed in all black in that, like he was in all blue in the dance scene with Vera Ellen? Oh, totally. I don't remember. Yeah, totally all black. So and it was he all had, one. And actually, once I noticed that that they were doing that, I noticed that there was other scenes where where the male dancers had like all green on, green shoes, green socks, green pants, green jacket. Oh, okay. I just I wanted to mention that that choreography number because it it stood out to me as being uh, kind of different from the rest of the uh, scenes. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a little bit like in Singing in the Rain when Gene Kelly does that long musical number that kind of is sort of on its own could stand as a musical number about two thirds or three fourths of the way into that movie. Oh, totally, <clears throat> totally. Thought I thought the same thing. Well, anyway, it, it all kind of gets resolved near the end when uh, Bob goes on the Ed Harrison show and, and sings that song, What Can You Do With a General? And I thought that was a really uh, nice song because it did sum up a lot of what was going on after the war. I mean, there yes. were a lot of jobs for people when they came back, but then they weren't always jobs that fit the skill set that people had when they were in the army. Like what, what, what is a general going to do when he comes back from the army, when he's retired, you know, I guess become an innkeeper in Vermont. (laughs) There were a lot of movies like that, like the best years of our lives from 1944, 45. I forget the year. The theme of that was people coming back from the service and readjusting. One was a banker and the other two, kind of had to find themselves in the movie. So that was a very strong theme for a number, probably 10 or 15 years after the war. And 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 so the word gets out. And I like that the that uh, Phil pretends to have like something wrong with his legs so that they can keep the general away from the TV because he loves the Ed Harrison show. He was really flexible. Why <laughs> word. Oh. And he's like, "Oh, just we need to. I need to walk. I need to go for a walk around the 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 yard." And <laughs> he's, like... he's a very visual comedy uh, comedian. He makes a lot of funny faces, kind of like Donald O'Connor did in Singing in the Rain. Yes, very much so. And whenever I see uh, that kind of comedy, I keep keep thinking of the Cowardly Lion from Wizard of Oz because it's the same physical kind of facial like. Oh, it is comedy yeah. that that they're doing, and I guess that that's a style of comedy that was really popular at the time, uh, and still is today. I mean, you look at somebody like um... Jim Carrey does a lot of uh, of that kind of, and Robin Williams did a lot of that. Yep, exactly. So it does carry on, or Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson back in the seventies was hugely funny, and and then they do the, and then I love the scene, like the whole. Like the last ten minutes of the movie are just so perfect to me. They are. I, I thought the same thing. S- starting from the point when the general can't find his suits. They should go on. How could you have sent all my suits to the cleaners? You've only got two. Well, I think you'd send one at a time then. In that case. Why can't you wear your uniform? Yes. I won't appear in uniform. Please, Grant. Absolutely not. Very well, I'll explain to Bob and Phil that you didn't care to come to the show tonight. I'll have you court-martialed. Susan, you're not obliged to go. They haven't done much for you, hardly anything. Listen, Emma, I'll make my own decisions. I got along very well in the Army without you. It took 15,000 men to take my place. Susan? Uh, 
15,000 men. <laughs> she was she was quite the busy person. I mean, she was she was behind the scenes all the time, sort of this secret hand helping Phil. Yeah, and sometimes it got got her into more trouble than anything, oh, but she she had totally. good intentions. She met she totally. met well. And and then I love this scene when when he comes down the stairs and his granddaughter is at the bottom yeah. of the stairs and she looks up yeah. at him and she's got this look on her face like just like wow he you know just amazed at how uh impressive he looks and and just so you know you just see the pride that she has in him and grandpa you look wonderful you didn't expect me to come down in my bathrobe did you no that's the that's the beginning of the part of the movie which just chokes me up every single time that I watch it. And all of those men are there from the service unit and their wives. He comes into the room and it's all dark and then the lights come up and all the men are there and they start clapping and, and uh, then they all line up like they're getting ready for inspection. And his uh, second in command is, is there and... and it's funny because some of the guys have put on too much weight. They can't get into their uniforms and they're yeah, like, this right. thing is shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> the dry cleaner ruined my suit. Yeah. Right. That was, that, that, that was so very emotional for me. And then they sing the old man, uh, the song, the old man reprise. Yeah. And gee, I wish I was back in the army. And Shelby, Wasn't that funny? Shelby and I laughed so hard when those uh, fake bodies came up off the floor, and yeah. <laughs> it was so weird. It was just like, okay, they had quite a production going there. They really did. It was a full-on Broadway show, complete orchestra. I mean, and then they, and then, unbeknownst to everybody in the audience, uh, it's has started snowing outside. Look here. Hey, here it comes. This is it. Isn't this great? Come on, Phil. Come on. Another Look here. Isn't that great? We make it snow in here, pal. Oh, why is this great? Phil and Bob and Judy and Betty realize that this is happening. And it's perfect timing because they have this big finale, which is the the White Christmas song with the the big Christmas tree. And so they sing that song and it's very emotional. And then at the end, God, it's just so, so great. They they lift up the back of the stage and it opens up into the kind of the courtyard there and and it's snowing and...
love it so much. It's just one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. It's, it could be the definition of the perfect, upbeat Hollywood movie ending. And, you know, everything in the film just leads up to make that scene, I, I, again, really starting from when the general's looking for his suit to the very end where the... It's just so perfect, uh, such a perfect uh, build-up for that. And, of course, uh, Bob realizes that, that there's a present in... Because Bob's playing Santa... And he realizes that there's a present in his bag that's from Betty. And he opens up the present, and it's a knight on a white steed. Because they have this little thing that they're doing throughout the movie about how Bob is, is this knight in shining armor. And it's pretty high up there. And the problem with being a knight on a white steed is it's uh, pretty far when you fall off the horse. And... Uh, so he gets a present at the end. Uh, uh, it's kind of a ceramic statue of a of a knight on a white horse, and that's from Betty. And then, I don't know if you noticed this, but Betty comes back behind the tree, and Bob just throws the ceramic horse into the into the Christmas yeah. tree. Like, well, yeah. I don't need that anymore, and grabs Betty. I have and the woman gives her a big kiss. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I hadn't seen that in the earlier times. I've. I've seen this movie so many times and think I'd see all these things, but I've missed some of it. All the time this is going on, Mr. Crosby is thinking, when this film is done, I'm off to the golf course. Yeah, right. Literally, after they filmed that scene, he was <laughs> off to the golf course because the king and queen of Greece were on their way, and he wasn't going to be sticking around for that. <laughs> I've got a tea time for 320 well, oh, and, and Rosemary Clooney apparently said that that was a pretty tough scene to film because of all the kids that were involved. And, yeah. uh, you know, they, they pre-recorded the, uh, the vocals uh, and all the music. Oh, but when they were, But when they're that. on set singing it, uh, Danny Kaye would always sing his part at the top of his lungs and it would crack Rosemary Clooney up every single time. <laughs> so then they'd have to do it again because... <laughs> So they had to do a lot of takes of it. Oh. She said, you know, it's a great scene and it really turned out well, but it was really tough to to pull it all together. All those little kids, the ballerina and all, yeah. And and I guess Irving Berlin was on stage when they were filming, was on set when they were filming that. And he kept pacing and pacing and, and I guess he worried a lot about how his music was going to be arranged and, you know, sung and all this. And uh, Bing Crosby finally you know went down to irving berlin and, and said to him you know what uh irving there's <clears throat> there's no way that we can screw up this song this song is already a huge hit why don't you go back to my dressing room and just kick back for a little bit and you know we've got this it's it's under control because you're making me really nervous <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that i could see that though because he that's his baby yeah but you know ben crosby's like don't worry about it. We we couldn't screw this up even if we tried. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, uh, what a so, well. I, I uh, it's hard for me not to give this movie a ten out of ten. So I did. All right. In a completely different genre than uh, Double Indemnity or Grapes of Wrath, but it's a ten out of ten for me. I forgot to put that rating on last night's email. Man, I, I wavered between a 9 and a 10, and the only reason I would go with a 9 is I don't like that the, the plot mechanic of having somebody know something but not say something about it to the other person, and that drives me crazy. 
but everything else about the movie I, I loved and I think I'm I'm willing to overlook overlook that uh, because everything else in this movie is just so well done and I love the the music and the dance numbers and and the last 10 minutes of the movie are just knock it out of the ballpark awesome to me oh, I mean no. just so so great so I'll, I'll go with a 10 on this one all right I gave it a 10 because I love that subplot <laughs> <laughs> hey different strokes for different folks <laughs> so that's that's uh our podcast now our next podcast, I think, is To Sir With Love, Sydney Poitier. Did we? Yeah, we're going to come back and do To Sir one. With Love. Uh, and then we'll be into the new year. And we have a list of about 20 movies that we've been considering. And I, I think it's safe to say that we're definitely going to have some uh, Humphrey Bogart movies coming up in, in 2015. Oh. And hopefully we'll have it integrated with some other things that we're planning. So yeah, we have some other the, exciting the, things planned for the the new year, which we can't news to follow talk about right now. But we'll see how it all plays out. And uh, we've we've uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is we've changed our website a little bit. We have an episode listing page, so if you want to go see all the episodes that we've recorded so far. Uh, go to classicmoviereviews.net and click on episode listing, and you'll see that. And we've upgraded our uh, analytics so that we can track a little bit better where people are coming from. And we truly have a global audience. It's really cool. Uh, let me tell you some of the countries that we have listeners from. We have Brazil, Philippines, Portugal, Germany... Latvia, Mexico, Sweden, uh, the UK, United States. I mean, I love it. I mean, it's just the power of, of the internet, right? It is. And there are a lot of people out there that like classic movies. Oh, absolutely. No wonder Turner Classic Movies is so popular. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole network <laughs> just for classic movies. Yeah. 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 Anyway, My favorite, by well, the way. this has been a lot of fun and great, great choice for a Christmas movie. I want to wish you and the family happy holidays. I wish I were there, but uh, we'll be here with the new nephew and the rest of the crew. So happy holidays. I you love have a, you. a new little life in your, in your world down there. That's great. Yeah. Well, I want to wish you and Nancy and Betty and, and everyone uh, happy holidays, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. And I hope everyone stays safe and, and has a really enjoyable time. And I wish we could see you guys in person, but we'll we'll do a FaceTime or something on Christmas Day. Outstanding. That'll be great. All right. Well, love you, Dad. Love you. From Los Angeles, this is Bob Johnson. And from Seattle, this is Matt. And you've been listening to Classic Movie Reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a couple weeks.
Did you want to say this is Bob from? Oh, you did say this is Bob from Los I Angeles. Did. I okay. did. Yeah. <laughs> I I mixed it up and said it first. Oh no, it's fine. That's cool. Uh, did the Nunley Johnson book arrive? Oh, I meant to say something about that on the podcast. Uh, yeah. Oh, we'll get it next time. You do have it. No, no, we'll put this in the after show. Yeah, it's right here. Oh, it's a wonderful book. I haven't read all of his letters yet, but, uh, I mean, the guy was a genius when it came to writing. Every letter that I've read, it doesn't matter the subject. It's just really fun and outstanding. You know, it's, you know, one of the things about this podcast that I really enjoy is just learning about all these famous people that were so hugely influential in Hollywood in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s that honestly I didn't even know I didn't even know who Nunley Johnson was until we started talking about him. I know, and he was well regarded. He had one of my favorite letters, I'll just take one. He writes about how on a television show Alistair Cook is going to be one of the guests and another guest is Linda Lovelace. Now Linda Lovelace was the star in Deep Throat. <laughs> porno movie and Alistair Cook was like this British genius and, and the letter that Nunley writes about that is hilarious I forget what part of the book it's in but just to see those two people on the same program oh how gosh. weird would that be <laughs> <laughs> how weird and awesome <laughs> I, you start reading those letters and I, for me I can't stop I think there's over 300 of them in the book you know that's something that people don't do anymore is just write Letters, and I, I, I love the way he opens some of his letters. He, The first line in one that I read was, I'm putting pen to paper today to tell you about... And I love right. that, like, I'm putting pen to paper today. Like, <laughs> I'm opening up an email today to tell you about... You know, exactly. Just, it doesn't exactly. have the same kind of ring to it. 